Welcome to Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art. I'm Chris Kreitcho. And I'm Stephen Caradini. And today we're going to talk about photography. And we're not going to talk about business, because if you've been listening the last couple of weeks, we've been talking a lot about business, which is an important thing. But if we talk about business once more, I think my head's going to explode. <laughs> it's true. So we're going to talk about art, which is, you know, actually in our tagline, whereas business is not. So <laughs> we're talking about photography today because there's been a recent spate of articles particularly two that we will link in the show notes that have said, you know what? Photography is not art. One of them said explicitly that photography, all photography everywhere is not art. And one of them said that some forms of photography are not art and that some are, which at least there's some variation in the argument. <laughs> but in general, we're here to say that's dumb. <laughs> Yeah, the, the second argument at least has something going for it. The first one is what I like to call elitist snobbery that's just grumpy that other people can take pictures now. And that is part of what we're going to talk about today, is that the nature of art in a world where everybody can do photography, and the nature of photography in a world where everybody can do photography is radically different than you know, in the 1930s or 40s, when only trained photographers in dark rooms were making photographs that were, and rightly are, praised as high art of the finest order. Mm -hmm. Things are different now. We talked back at the end of season one about the iPhone as a democratizing force in picture taking, in that if you look on Flickr, the top most popular devices used to take pictures are iPhones. They're not digital cameras of the traditional sort. They're iPhones. And in fact, it's probably fair to say that more people have taken pictures with iPhones in the last five years than with any other device in the world, any other single category of device in the world. And when you add in other mobile phone manufacturers who include cameras, whether that's Samsung or Nokia or LG or whomever, it just blows away the digital SLRs and point-and-shoot type cameras of the world. There are plenty of photos still being taken with those, but the explosion of not just cameras, but actually good cameras that sit in your pocket all day, every day, and that you always have with you means that more people are taking more photos than have ever been taken in the history of photography being a thing, simply because you can do it anytime, anywhere, unless, you know, you're at a concert hall and they say, please don't, but people still do. Yeah. And you don't have to sit in a dark room and you don't have to do all the work that you used to have to do with chemicals mm -hmm. and you didn't have to rely on the 24 or 32 shots that you had on the roll. <laughs> and, you know, you didn't have to do all the work of framing and really get things perfect and then snap it and hope it worked, you know, because we have unlimited space, well, pseudo unlimited space, uh, you know, there's a lot of ways that you don't have to do all those technical things anymore. They've been replaced. And that's good and bad in some ways. It's not all bad and it's not all good. So I actually have darkroom training. I was trained to shoot on a Olympus OM-10. And I was trained to do my own darkroom chemicals and set up the machines and make prints in the traditional way. I was probably the last generation of people to ever do that um, in a 
this is the way you have to do photography mm -hmm. way. There are certainly people who still do that for the love of it and more power to you. But when I wanted to be a photographer, they were like, this is the only way you get to do it. There is no digital. So, and tellingly, right as I left high school, I learned how to do it in high school. One of my graduation gifts was a DSLR camera. <laughs> so there you go. Thereby obviating the previous years of training. Which, which it was given to me in good nature in that I was about to not have a dark room for a foreseeable future. So they said, here, here's a camera and you, this will tide you over to you have a dark room again, which is totally great. It's just that until I have a dark room again is probably going to be never forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, probably forever. Um, but so that, that means that I have a particular stance on this that is situated in both worlds. I've taken a lot of DSLR pictures. I've taken a lot of camera phone pictures, but I've also, you know, taken art photos, specifically fine art related photography in a darkroom. So I have experience on both ends of it. And I've never taken darkroom photography, but I've done a fair bit of the amateur level digital photography. And I have a number of friends who've done a lot of straight up art photography with nothing but a digital camera who've never shot darkroom. So mm -hmm. I've seen both angles of this quite a bit. And then these right. articles come flying across our news feeds and we both say, wait, hang on. You want to run that by me again? Yeah. And it's the one that particularly argues that no art is, or no photography is art is a little bit extreme. It's, it's protectionist. It's trying to establish a distinction between fine arts, trying to keep the rabble out, you know, <laughs> all those sorts of things that people who are clinging on to, you know, dying ships do when they have to do them. But the one that distinguishes between some photography is art and some isn't is more interesting to me because the distinctions that anybody makes on that front are totally arbitrary, which mm -hmm. is why, I mean, we don't even really have to talk about their particular distinctions, even as a point of reference, because as soon as I say some is art and some is not, every listener and you, Chris, immediately have a distinction in your mind like, okay, I know what is and what isn't. Mm -hmm. And it's different for everyone. One of the interesting phenomena in art theory in general, and this applies to music, this applies to uh, photography or paintings or sculpting or dancing or really any art form that you can think of, is this sort of ongoing attempt to distinguish between what is art and what isn't, what is music and what isn't, what constitutes high art, what constitutes low art, and some of that is natural. Human beings are categorizers. We like to put things in boxes, we like to consider how things fit together, we like to be able to make clear category distinctions between things. The problem is the arts are not easily reducible to those kinds of analysis. And, and thankfully so. Yeah, when you start trying to define what makes something art, what makes something non-art, uh, in my experience as a, a background as a composer, I've spent some time hashing through this with others trying to think about how do we define what is music? And you start trying to trace that out and say, okay, well, there's issues of rhythm and tone and all of these things. But then people start doing interesting things with atonality and intentionally messing with rhythm and structure and all of these things. And what you start coming down to is that it's impossible to define and when you start getting into quote-unquote found art, 
the intent of the artist becomes really important, but at the same time, you want to look at some things and say, you know, it really doesn't matter if you think that that's art. Just calling it art doesn't make it art. But I guess that's sort of my arbitrary definition of it, and now I don't know where to go again. And then right. you end up in this sort of cyclical loop where, as Stephen said, you kind of know it when you see it, but you can't define it. And what I see as art and what you see as art, there are certain things we are both going to agree are art. Yeah. But there are probably going to be things out in the periphery that Stephen might say, oh, yeah, that's a nice piece of art. And I'd say, I'm not sure that actually counts as art and vice versa. And yeah. certainly as we went through our, our crowd of listeners, there would be things that you would say, oh, yeah, this is a great piece of high art that has shaped culture and will continue to do so. And I might look at it and say, well, I mean, it's it's art, but I don't think it's that significant or important. And maybe it's not high art, but those sorts of distinctions are not. They're not easy to make. They're also perhaps less important than the gatekeepers of these sorts of discussions tend to want to make them out to be. Because at the end of the day, art is a fundamentally human endeavor that we've been doing for as long as humans have been doing anything. I mean, the oldest archaeological discoveries we have are paintings on cave walls. Mm -hmm. They're humans making art in the most primitive way imaginable, and I don't use primitive in a pejorative sense here, but rather simply in a descriptive sense. Very primitive tools, very limited tools, and very limited Palettes. places and ways. Yeah, very limited palette. And yet we're making art, and I'm sure that they were singing and dancing then too. Mm -hmm. Humans make art, and the question of whether a given piece of photography counts as art or not it's it's going to be hard to define on an individual line, and the discussion may be interesting, and the discussion may be profitable. Right. But to do as the one ridiculous article did and simply rule out all photography from being art demonstrates a certain lack of ability to imagine approaches to beauty making, which if I had to define art, I would say that it is in some sense about beauty making. Yeah. There are a lot of ways to go about beauty making. Yeah, there are. And one thing that you said was that you know it when you see it, which, uh, you know, students of American history will know that that's the, the famous phrase said in the obscenity hearings in, by, in the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. And so there there is a level where there is kind of an extreme where something is obviously art and extreme where something is obviously not art. Right. Um, but even something as, you know, squishy and kind of amorphous as the term pornography is still more concrete than the concept of art uh, because there's there, there's clear distinctions that it's, it's it would be hard for someone to say that somebody completely clothed walking around is pornography which there's there's that spectrum is even wider on art like there are things that some people would never consider art mm -hmm. that are can totally art to some people and so you know we definitely are not comparing art to pornography or obscenity here but just the concept of how we value things on a spectrum is even less applicable in an objective concrete sort of way than it is a subjective analysis of how we interpret the world around us and how that interpretation of the world around us makes us feel. And so that's why objectionable art, things that we 
think are immoral or that we don't like or that we um, are depicting things that are not um, tasteful or depicting things that are even evil. Sometimes those pieces of art have merit as art, even though we don't condone the things that are in them. Right. There's a really interesting debate interesting to me because i'm just generally interested in aesthetics as a discipline among mm -hmm. christians about where you draw that line what is acceptable to depict in art and what is not because there are things that we condemn as morally reprehensible and yet there are times and ways in which conveying those accurately and clearly maybe not explicitly but accurately and clearly can be important in showing things about the world that we need to see and need to understand you know think about a movie like schindler's list or saving private ryan or we were soldiers some of these show some pretty awful situations uh, we were soldiers is one of the most difficult to watch movies i've ever seen i can't say i would exactly recommend it but i think it's also one of the most important movies i've ever seen because it tells the truth about hard things in american history that it is important to understand if we're going to be a people who grapple rightly with our own nature as humans and if we're going to be a people who grapple rightly with what our story is like as Americans. And the same would be true for any other nation. So there are times when depicting even horrible things can be the right thing to do. The question then becomes, how do you depict it? And what is the effect of your depiction? And those are right. complicated, hairy issues. Right. And so photography plays in, in a complicated way to this in that photography, to some extent, is depicting reality with a closer lens or a closer relationship, a closer distance than some other art forms. Um, there's always ethical questions about, okay, if you see something unethical happening and you have a camera, should you take a picture of it or should you go intervene? Like the, those are difficult questions that are beyond the scope of this podcast. Um, but so since there's that, that kind of photojournalistic impulse, that, that photorealism, there's, in, in some places, there's this struggle between is that art or is that news or is it both? And then on the opposite end of the spectrum where you're purposefully, you know, setting up photo shoots and thinking about heavy and difficult things. I think of, you know, suicide or depression, which are um, common themes in, in art photography um, or at least art photography that I'm familiar with. Um, setting up things to get people to grapple with those issues is important um, and is more clearly set up for an artistic purpose than, you know, pictures of, of war or pictures of domestic unrest or um, pictures of, you know, violence, wherever it may be. Um, all of which I think are important from a journalistic standpoint, but also from an artistic standpoint, and particularly as a photo gets older and it loses some of its potency as a historical object and it becomes more of an artistic or memory kind of creating object, we start to view it more as high art. It, it, it becomes fuzzy really quickly. And then you add in the question of, okay, what about the picture I took on my iPhone of 
a snail crawling across a piece of brick a year ago. Is that art? Because I shot it and composed it with the intent to capture something beautiful. But I shot it on my iPhone and posted it to Instagram. So here we are on totally the other end of the spectrum. And now now we're grappling again with, okay, the artist intent and meaning and value and purpose and all of those things. And therefore, whether you're on the sort of most populist end, shooting a picture with an iPhone and posting it to Instagram, or on the other end of the spectrum, where you're dealing with elite, careful, art-oriented photography in the sense that Stephen was just describing, well, the value and meaning we assign to a given piece of photography is very much culturally mediated, it can be relative to circumstance, and again, it's just difficult to nail down. But I think we can say, without a, without a lot of doubt, that to rule out photography as art simply because it is depicting something uh, more immediately than a painting would, or than a piece of literature would, is silly. Just silly. And I think that it's hard to rule out photographs that are set up to be beautiful as art, no matter where they're taken. So, you know, going out to a club, taking a shot of yourself with your friends, that's generally not intended to be an art piece. It's intended to represent, you know, this event and so that you can tag everybody or so that you can show people that you are out and the intent behind that is not to pass that off as as art now if you're walking by you know a cemetery and you see a butterfly land on a headstone and you quick take a picture and put it to instagram you weren't really doing that to say look at me and this butterfly hanging out <laughs> <laughs> that's not what you were doing you were trying to make a representation of something beautiful that struck you um or so there's there's some intent that I think has to be brought into um, this sort of of process of understanding what is art and what isn't. And so that brings us to another topic that Chris and I are really interested in, um, which is, with apologies, GIFs. No! Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's GIF. It's GIF. It's graphical image format. It's GIF. Uh, <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. GIF is the is the name of the file. GIF is the name of the culture. No. All right, I'll My call them aches. GIFs. I'll call them I'll call them GIFs just to not make your soul hurt. But you Thank know you. where I stand. Thank you. <laughs> you know where I stand. Uh, so GIFs, um, where there's there's a lot of different versions of GIFs. There are cinematographs which are explicitly art GIFs. They are explicitly high art photography that have elements in them that move, uh, which some of them are incredibly beautiful. Um, we're also going to put in the show notes my favorite GIF, which is Haters Gonna Hate, <laughs> which is an owl walking in a circle. <laughs> and, and we'll make sure to drop a Peter Capaldi Doctor Who eyebrow GIF as well. Yeah. But GIFs are an interesting phenomenon because there is an art to making GIFs. And we've all seen good GIFs, and we've all seen not-so-good GIFs. Things that mm -hmm. don't have the artistry to them. And, uh, I mean, this could bring us to an even broader topic of meme generation. Because mm -hmm. a lot of GIFs have been put to that end. And is a meme where you just have a picture 
with someone's face possibly moving and words put across it a piece of art i don't know i don't know some of them could be it and i think some of them some of them might be and a medium like that i as Stephen pointed out with the cinematographs there are certainly elements within it that are art but then you have to look at this entire broader spectrum and say here is human creativity here is a lot of ingenuity here's a lot of clever thought what is the intent and there were back to the intent question and with some of them it's merely to amuse but then in some sense i think we have to say that a comedy skit is a form of art and so if a comedy uh, yep. skit and a comedy routine is a form of art and if a comedy movie is a form of art or a comedic novel is a form of art then why might not a gif designed to be amused which carefully puts together elements of text and imagery not be a form of art now that doesn't mean they're all art but as we said making that delineation is very very difficult yeah and there's an element where some people want to distinguish art from craft or art from techne so this idea that there are skills that you can be excellent at that are kind of craft knowledge that aren't necessarily art in the fine art sense of the word and that's a really fine distinction and that's a really interesting discussion and it's pretty modern it's really a post-renaissance discussion because prior to that point you had all of the arts were crafts they were the mm -hmm. kinds of things in which you would be apprenticed to a master craftsman and it didn't particularly matter whether you were making horseshoes and swords with a blacksmith or you were learning to compose music for the masses in the church either way the process for learning and the process for being paid for and the process for practicing them looked very very similar yeah and then in the renaissance we introduced a distinction you know i'm, I'm speaking in very broad generalities art historians please don't crucify me for this i know more of the details but this is a 30-minute podcast we introduced these finer distinctions between different kinds of crafts and over the course of time since then especially through the romantic period we elevated some of these finer arts to essentially a prophetic status in our culture mm -hmm. and neither of us are particularly sure that's very helpful yeah that's a true statement good thing that culture is disassembling that for us so <laughs> democratization oh uh but yeah so it's really interesting when you start to think about okay so clearly the michelangelo's work is not on par with haters gonna hate meme that's <laughs> That's clearly not the same level of intent or the same level of, you know, difficulty or of skill or time exerted or I I would say lasting value, but we have no <laughs> idea how long know. the haters going to hate or the dead horse meme. 400 years from now, 500 years from now, it could be plastered in, in a museum somewhere. Haters going to yeah. hate. Circling, haters going to hate. Circling owl. <laughs> so it, it's but it, it probably feels wrong just to think about michelangelo and haters gonna hate in the same breath and that's kind of the tension that we're getting at is that regardless of how big tent you get there's still some objectiveness somewhere mm -hmm. that kind of rubs you wrong and it's so it's a very interesting question that we think categorically no photography is definitely art somehow right and some photography is great art yeah 
fine art even we're just not really sure which is which exactly <laughs> or rather we don't know how to define it in clear articulable ways right but when you look at an Ansel Adams picture you're looking at that saying yeah that's that's pretty good <laughs> yeah and the fact yeah. that yeah a lot of people can take pictures like that doesn't change the fact that sometimes one guy just really nails a shot and gets all the elements of color and composition and positioning and everything else right and it's a lastingly beautiful contribution to human art Mm-hmm. yeah no i totally agree and so as we think about art as secular people or as christians keeping in mind that intent and beauty making and the the process of making art are all things we have to keep in mind as we make those distinctions and we know that it's going to be different for every person there there's just too much art in the world and too many culturally bound experiences individual and collective that would allow us to have one monolithic perception on art, which I think is an ultimate failing of the elitist stance of, of fine art, is that it doesn't take into account that there are cultural variables outside of the prescribed cultural variables. And with that, the recognition that, as you pointed out earlier, there are still things that are objectively good, period. Mm-hmm. The subjectivity of our experience of art and our intent to create art does not mean that there is no objectively good thing in art, nor does it mean that there are not real objective gradations hmm. between the arts. Yeah. Uh, it's That doesn't mean that we can always articulate them or describe them perfectly. It just means that those things do exist. Your point that Michelangelo's David is a real meaningful step above haters gonna hate gif is an important one, I think, and it's worth taking away that not all art has to be Michelangelo's David. Right. And we don't have to ascribe equal value to them. But saying that not all art is Michelangelo's David doesn't, on the other hand, oblige us to say that anything that isn't Michelangelo's David isn't art. We can yeah, appreciate different kinds of art for what they bring to the table. And some of them are not meant to be these permanent edifices to glory. Some of them are meant to be temporary things, and that's all right. Yep. Yep. Before you go, a little news story that started in my home state of Colorado and then followed me through my college state of Oklahoma, Stevens' home state. Apparently, some legislators have gotten it in their heads that the AP U.S. history class brainwashes people into thinking that the U.S. is a bad place because, wait for it, it tells U.S. history like it actually happened, as in America wonderful place that we are, abused and oppressed African-American slaves and Native Americans who we repeatedly broke treaties with and other things. So let's get rid of all the AP U.S. history tests. Let's pass legislation that forbids schools from using AP U.S. history and substitutes a curriculum glorifying this country. Let me explain something to you. That's not how we do history. That's called hagiography, not history, and it's bad. And it makes me grumpy. Dear Oklahoma and dear Colorado, please stop. We would like to actually teach people history. It would be really, really great if we learned to love this country in spite of her flaws and learned to make her a better country because we acknowledge all the things we've gotten wrong before. 
We can't possibly do that if we shut our ears and say, la 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 la, whenever anyone tries to say, hey, we've made some mistakes, let's learn from them. Yeah. So as an Oklahoman who took AP U.S. history in Oklahoma, uh, I still love America. I think it has issues. I, you know, I didn't learn about all of those issues in AP U.S. history. <laughs> I learned about some of them by watching the television. What? Um <laughs> Because we still have issues in this country. Say it isn't um, so. Oh, man. We still have issues. But... <sighs> and so, first off, we should acknowledge that it was just a House committee meeting. It wasn't the whole state. It's not a done deal that AP U.S. history won't exist in Oklahoma. Oklahoma legislators, please stop doing this. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It really makes you look bad in the eyes of the nation. It really makes you not even in line with how people need to know things in terms of the 21st century, in terms of how people from Oklahoma will be viewed once they get out into the world and have jobs. It's just it's just a bad look for you, Oklahoma. It's a bad look for you. Don't do it. We'll we'll link an article. We'll try not to like set it on fire or anything before we send it to you. <laughs> The song at the beginning was Just What I Needed by Wonderful Humans. Please don't use it without their permission. Until next week, thanks for listening. Although, empirically, if North Carolina is the next place that tries to do this, it's you. <laughs> yes, and you're allowed to say that in the... Uh... Okay, cool. So That policy right. just follows me, man. <laughs> it's not my fault. Okay. It's not my fault. I just, I just, I don't know. Please don't use it without permission. We did. We got permission. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's the song at the beginning. Be <laughs> <laughs> the song at the beginning was wonderful. Human uh, was. Uh... Oh, <laughs> Please don't use it without their permission. That's what we, we did. did. <laughs> uh...